and brightest day and blackest night. All other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's minds. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hi, everybody. I'm Chad Bokelman. Hi, Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 404. That's right. What are we talking about tonight? I don't know. What are we... No, we're talking about... Uh, we are doing the review, kind of, but not a straight story-by-story story typical. Just an overview kind of review and, and assessment of the Green Lantern, 80 Years of the Emerald Knight, the deluxe edition hardcover collection that just came out about a... Was it like about a month ago now, give or take? Maybe. Oh uh, yeah, Getting roughly. Close. Did you uh did you get the seventy five years one? Like did you have that for comparison or no? No, no, I don't believe I do have yeah, that. Me neither. Alright. So going with that in mind. But before we get into that, I guess I'll talk briefly about a piece of merch I got. So I've talked about this a couple of times on the show in terms of pre ordering it. Uh did we how do we all Figure out about it. Was it Mer- was Mercari Merchoid? What the what the heck was the site that that was advertising this like crazy on Facebook and uh, Instagram and stuff? Yeah, that one I'm not 100 percent sure of because I don't think I actually saw it until 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 either you brought it <laughs> to my attention or I saw it on Entertainment Earth. I hadn't really noticed, but I think I that sounds that sounds correct though. So uh, there's a company called Paladome uh, and. They have put out, in cooperation with DC, a full-scale power battery lamp. It's actually called a Green Lantern lamp. That's its official name. But it's a power battery prop replica. But it is all plastic. So it's a much cheaper uh, option for you. Because uh, I don't remember what retail price is, because I always saw them aftermarket, I guess. or No, actually, I, I probably... Probably saw a bunch of them listed in previews, but the original power batteries are maybe you get them for 150 at best, but usually like 160, 180, something like that online. And correct me if I'm wrong, they're kind of like a mix between poly resin and metal, or are they all metal? No, I think. Because by I the way, Mark has them all except for Indigo. Of the new, yeah, of the of the new set of the new wave, I have them all. Those those are definitely resin. I don't think there's, there's resin, okay. yeah, I don't think there's anything metal at all related to the to the to the new wave to the new wave. Uh, but I I, I want to say there is something something metallic about the uh, about. Not just, just the, be the paint. Huh? Yeah, I was gonna say not just it could just be the paint, and and there could be some cold cast. Maybe porcelain involved too, with the original Alan Scott and Abin Sir and Hal Jordan, and and the first Sinestro Corps and Red Lantern battery too from the Justice League Trophy Room collection. Yeah, 
So, and I'm right on the price point, right? Like, if you if you see it for like 140, 150, that's a deal. Get it, right? Yeah, because I think if I remember correctly, when I when I did the DCBS pre-order on the on that on the newer set of batteries, I want to say they were the pre-order price was somewhere in the 130s. The discounted price on DCBS was in the 130s for those. So yes, they they probably retail for like around 160 or 160 or higher when they first were rolled out. Gotcha. So yeah, uh, now again, full size, one to one scale, all plastic. Uh, it's it's green. It's very clearly green plastic when you look at it. Uh, I think this can be drastically improved upon just by grabbing a can of metallic green spray paint. Just make sure it's the the right color, and uh, go into town on this thing. You know, make sure you don't cover up the the light source or the uh, the button triggering it or the uh, micro USB p- plug or whatever. But otherwise, you know, just make sure you tape it upright before painting it. And it, it could be drastically improved upon just with a spray paint. But otherwise, I mean, it's fine. The um, the big difference here, other than in how it's made in terms of plastic versus resin or whatever, uh, those ar- original lanterns that Mark has, they come with a ring also. And it comes with a nice little display stand or whatever. And you put the ring on, you put the ring up to the power battery. Um, I don't know what these ports or whatever they're called, um, where the light comes out. And it's sort of like magnetic and it trips, uh, you know, kind of a switch inside the lantern to turn it on. So you put on the ring, you put the ring to the lantern and it turns on. So it's a kind of cool effect. This doesn't do that. This has three AA batteries or a port for a micro USB cable. Um, and you can either have it plugged in and turned on all the time, or you can just have it run on batteries. And at the top, you know, there's not like a switch on here that you flip back and forth or whatever. At the very top of the lantern, there's a green lantern symbol within a circle, and it looks like a very much a part of the lantern, a part of the design, and you just press down on it, and it lights up. I did a video of this, uh, posted it over on Facebook. Uh, it didn't load up very well. It looks like it was shot with a potato, but you get the point when you watch it. Um, this is the modern power battery design. It has that. It has that. Uh, I don't know. I, can, I compare this little design indentation to like a tennis ball sort of a look uh, that sort of waves around the side of the battery. Um, the one side of the lantern, you can very clearly see eight little screw hole ports that are holding this thing together. It is extremely bright. I have not seen the real, the you know, the, the quote-unquote real, you know, DC collectibles or whatever, DC direct prop uh, power battery prop replicas. I've seen, obviously, Mark's videos that he's posted on YouTube, but I get the feeling from his videos that those aren't, like, super, super bright. This thing is bright. Uh, and uh, it could just be the, the material that they use, the way that the, the, the translucent part where the light is kind of... Uh, is, is also plastic. Maybe they use the higher quality on the DC Direct stuff, um, DC Collectible stuff that maybe uh, limits the light. Maybe the Mark, you had said that there are bulbs in those things, right? Yes. Like actual bulbs? Yes. Okay. These look like LEDs. So obviously definitely much brighter. You, you watch the video. Do you get the sense that these are way brighter than what you have? I think it's hard to judge uh, when I watched you, when I first – Based upon initial viewing, I think it's hard for me to judge, but I would say, if I overall the last wave of 
DC batteries that they released, the full-scale ones, uh, only the White Lantern battery is really bright. Uh, the blue... The blue and the green. The blue is a little disappointing how how non bright it is. The green's okay, but all, most and the orange isn't bad either. But I think I think red. I think sapphire. Uh, the blue is disappointing, and of course black is like lights up. But you know, it, of course it makes sense, but it lights up so little that it's almost it's, bare, it's barely lit. The I think the brightest of the the brightest of the original batteries. The brightest batteries, period, besides the white, was the original HAL that I have, and I think the maybe even a, the first Sinestro core. So I would say it's certainly in the top, you know, the top percent of the of the on a brightness scale of all the batteries they've released so far, based on what I can I could ascertain from your video. Yeah, I paid about forty something bucks for this with shipping. I bought it, pre-ordered it off of uh, Entertainment Earth. Um, yeah, uh, I I enjoy it. I think I'm going to definitely do some spray paint uh, with it to make it a little m- less obviously green plastic. Um, I think I'm going to wait a little bit on that, though, because I do still have that uh, home decor uh, lantern that I wanted to sand down and paint. I'll probably use this, you know, just might as well wait until I get the paint for that uh, and just buy extra and paint both of these things at the same time when I'm ready. But I think it's pretty fantastic. It's very lightweight, very durable. I was over at my father's house uh, for some personal reasons the other day. And, you know, my little almost two-year-old, you know, his birthday will be uh, September 2nd. So he's going to be two very soon. He saw me, you know, unbox this. He came over and looked at it and he saw me turn it on and how I did that. And he, man, he grabbed it and he... Turn it on, turn it off, no problem, again and again and again. Um, and you know, like I said, it's plastic, so I mean, I, I let my little brother have it for a little bit, and I got it back, and it's not really dinged up. So, you know, it's definitely play with a little bit and not do anything. And like I said, it's only like 40-something bucks, so, you know, it's it's a nice, cool prop replica. But if you think the kids would enjoy it, you don't really have to worry about them knocking down your hundred nearly $200 resin lantern and breaking it or having to replace a bulb or whatever. It's plastic, you know, kind of no big deal situation. So if you have kids, if you're the type of person who just wanted a green power battery, you didn't want all the others, um, and you just, you know, you, you didn't want to spend a ton of money and you just want a green lantern, and then this is it. It's full size and it's awesome. I, I love the idea that, I, my my favorite, other than the fact that it's very bright, which for me, th- that was always a very big contender for me because it's one of the most powerful weapons in the DC universe. So, like, whenever I imagine a Green Lantern lighting up one of these things or lighting up his ring, I imagine this explosion of light, this just the, this a massive amount of light that you just go, wow, that's just power, just, just exudes power. I just, like, I think of hitting it, you know, lighting up a lantern as like, you know, one of those thousand candle watt, whatever, you know, the ones that can signal a plane or whatever, those massive flashlights that just burn out your retinas if you look at them for half a second, <laughs> like that sort of a thing. Now, obviously this isn't that, but it's, it's very bright. So it definitely meets that criteria for me. Um, and it's cheap and durable. Uh, but my favorite feature like is the, option like you had the batteries but the fact that it has this micro usb port to where i could just set it up a certain place plug it in and turn it on if i so choose uh, i can imagine a setup in like a future house or you know 
when I have my own apartment someday, you know, having like a nice little room or certain display area or whatever, just set this up and just leave it on permanently. If it's if it's set up in the right way, it could be a really cool, just lit up display addition to to your kind of nerd cave. Yeah, it definitely seems like a nice addition. Uh, let's see if they, let's see if they go down the road and create and do some other batteries in this line. Probably not, but hey, you never know. And they, they get, I, 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 oh, I'm sorry. Okay, I was gonna, I was gonna say you could you could see them doing it and again crapping out before they finish the entire line. <laughs> Well, I mean, at least we'd be more likely to get an indigo staff if it's made of plastic. <laughs> yeah, except for, I think the, the the issue again with indigo probably all along was the fact that they had to create something different. When with, with all the other batteries, they just had to just other than the uh, red lantern battery, they basically could, could use the same basic design, just change the symbol, change the um, and, and, and the handle, depending on which Sinestro core battery I think you have, they, 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 I think one of the batteries has the the, the altered handle. Um, I think, or maybe that's just wishful thinking. I don't remember at this point. But either way, the, the basic those batteries are exactly the same, just with different paint jobs. So in the Indigo tribe was always that that was part of the issue. I think they realized if they had to be, if they wanted to do it accurately, they had to they had to make something different, which. They, they really should have figured that out before they went down that road. If they're gonna, if you're gonna go down that road and complete and give you every everything but one, they give you eight and then crap out before they give you the ninth one. That's kind of that's 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 pretty cheesy. That that I I'm still a little bitter about that because I really didn't need to have the damn sapphire battery if they never they were never gonna make the indigo tribe. Whatever they decided to do, even if they copped out and made it a battery, which we know would have been incorrect, but at least they would have covered their basis for every core. So by not doing yeah, it now, I, I I didn't I didn't like the Star Sapphire battery because that one was that one was like a, I mean other than the color being the different thing the the design of that power battery in the comics was like a if you take if you if you grab the bottom of the lantern and the top of the lantern and pulled and sort of stretched it and then it also had a sort of crystalline look to it and like not like very obviously but there were obviously touches of it. And the way that DC Direct decided to do the prop replica was just straight up a, a violet battery. They didn't change really anything about it to match what it was in the comics. And I was really hopeful for it, too, because they did so well with, like, the red power battery and the yellow and the blue. And I was just like, okay, look, they're taking these design implementations. And it looks like it does in the comics. They're clearly going to change the – especially with the red one, because the red one is – very clearly a different battery. It's a completely different design centerpiece to, you know, other than forgetting just the handle, the whole, the whole center unit is a completely different thing. So I was like, Oh, if they're willing to go this far, clearly they're going to do the Sapphire battery justice. And it just came out and it was just a, a painted green lantern basically. Yeah. They def they definitely mailed it in on, on a lot of those. Uh, it's, it is still one of the things that I, like I said, I, re, I, I regret they didn't finish the set because I thought it was a cop out. I think it was. It also makes me. I mean, who knows? Maybe someday someone will make. I mean, they'll make some kind of version. Doubt it, since we haven't seen the Indigo Tribe in a thousand years. But you never know that there could be. You know, we could get an Indigo Tribe prop at some. But 
it just it does bother me just because the collection is incomplete and the fact that I went out of my way retroactively, though as a gift, but still to go out of my way to try to get the Indigo, to get the Sapphire battery just so I'd be prepared for the Indigo tribe whenever they did it. And, of course, they never did it. So now I have a battery. I really di- didn't really give a crap about the core to begin with. And now I have the battery, which still is nice to have, you know, so, but still. Technically, you have all the batteries that were actual, actually batteries. But still, it's incomplete because you don't have the Indi- you don't have the Indigo Tribe, and it does so. But at least we got we got the blue and we got the white, and so I'm happy with those. But this 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 is cute. I mean, especially like you said, if if you if you had wanted one before and you had passed on it, uh, this certainly is certainly is a very affordable version to get. And the fact that you can you can just plug it in with the USB is always a plus because that was one that was one of the weaknesses with the Kyle battery versus the, the other Green Lantern batteries that they did, the battery props, besides the fact it wasn't full scale, it was the fact that that one couldn't light up with a ring. So you had basically only had two options. You had off and you had on. And would either just stay on, and yes, they were wash batteries, but still, they would either stay on and just drain the button cells all the time, or it'd be off. You couldn't light it up like you can with all the other batteries. So it was, So that was inconsistent, too. Kyle's full scale would have been pretty pretty damn neat with the same ability to you know, the magnet ring, uh, but no. but a nice addition to the to the battery collection. It's been a while since we had something added. For sure, uh, and the video of that was over on our Facebook page if you guys want to watch that. So speaking of nice additions to uh, our collections, or if if. We, it actually is. Let's take a look at this. Uh, take a look at this thing. You want to? You want to start? I guess with the cover. So it is hardcover. So there's a dust jacket, and I've taken mine off to compare the dust jacket with the the printed stuff on the actual hardcover. You want, you want to start there, and let's see what we think of this design. Um, I I kind of like. I do like the picture of Hal. It's not the best interpretation of Hal, but I I I'm always been a fan of the. Always a fan of the covers that have basically is a composite of older covers from other other books, in, you know, in the series or other books featuring the character. So I do like the fact that they do give us a back a background of a pulp, of some really important issues, including you know you got Final Night Four and like Green Lantern with the Green Lantern Twenty Five. Is that Twenty Five? I can't see, no. I can't. I'm trying to read it because of the fact that. What with the Sinestro? It says Green. Does that say Green Lantern? Twenty-one. Twenty-one. That's it. Uh, my eyes are really going at this stage of the game. Um, uh, Emerald Dawn. What Emerald Dawn one? Um, Showcase twenty-two. There's Green Lantern forty-five with uh, with Alan on the cover. That's the issue I own. There's the the team up with the Flash with the bulbous head. There's Rebirth number one. Green Lantern, uh, Green Lantern, what twenty? The end, the end of the Jeff Johns run. Circle. Gantt's Tale, which yep. is a fantastic cover. I like that one. Always did. Green Lantern one fifty, the end of the Ion story. Uh, Circle mm-hmm. of Fire. Um, yeah, there's actually, I believe, there's a Circle of Fire trade that's supposed to be coming out soon. That would be cool because since we talked about doing, talked about. I'm doing, actually, I'm pretty sure I added it to an Amazon wish list. Circle of Fire, Green Lantern. Um, yes. Uh, so 
obviously there's the old trade paperback uh, that, you know, or whatever. That there's a Green Lantern Circle of Fire paperback uh, supposed to be released on February 9th of 2021. Yep. Nice. I'm pre- pre-ordered on Amazon. I, I did see that correctly. Uh, I agree with you. I like the cover. I, I really do love the composite look of it. Um, this is very, very nitpicky, but I wish the composite that we see on the fr- on on the on the dust jacket matched the composite that we see on the hardcover. It's the same images, guys. It's just the placing of them is slightly off. That is true. I I, I wish oh you know because actually I have uh, DC has been doing the black label stuff, and uh, I was talking to Mark before we started recording about going comic book shopping the other day. I picked up that DC Black Label Harleen uh, series. I, I got the, the the trade, or the, rather the hardcover of that. And they did that trick where there's a dust jacket on it, but part of it is just transparent, so that you know the, the actual hardcover has Dr. Harleen Quinzel kind of beat up and bloody on printed on the cover, but the dust jacket has Harley Quinn, like her, a part of her mask. So when you slide the dust jacket over, you see part Harleen Quinzel and a part Harley Quinn on the whole thing. If they would have done something like that, where you can see the green lantern logo and how, but the rest of this was transparent. Uh, and, and it kind of slid over and fit over. I thought, I think that could be cool. I also think you could have kind of achieved the same effect if, the layout and arrangement of these is the exact same on the hardcover front as it is on the jacket front, so that when you slid it off, it almost looked like Hal was just a piece of his own right in front of the thing. Um, I do like the the images they chose. I get why they had to go with like the current logo uh, in terms of the the title logo. I get why they had to go with Hal. But man, we're celebrating Green Lantern as a franchise. At the very least, I wish that the Green Lantern title logo at the top would have been the Golden Age like fiery logo. You got Alan on the front on the front flap of the dust jacket, though. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I get that. And they, and, we, um, and they do give us a nice collection of all the different Green Lantern logos uh, on the inside cover. That, yeah, that's something definitely worth talking about. Uh, you have the Golden Age with the Green Lantern 40s logo. You have the Silver Age with the kind of blocky Green Lantern font with the fire only on the top. You have the Morrison era Green Lantern logo that's also on the front of this. And you have the Jeff Johns era logo as well as the Kyle Rayner era logo. Yeah, I thought that was a, ni- I thought that was a nice touch. Yeah, for sure. Um, same kind of treatment inside. 80 years of the Emerald Knights. There's a table of contents. Nice. Um, so there are a couple of sections in here, and they're sort of split up between the various stories. Um, there is a bunch of text sort of prose sections written by uh, Jerry Bales, Dave Gibbons, Denny O'Neill, Mark Guggenheim, uh, and just Jeff Johns. Oh, and Min Lee, who wrote the Green Lantern's Legacy. And these are sort of interspersed uh, between sort of the ages of Green Lantern. Did you read those? I read some of them. I didn't reread them in prep for this, but when I first got the book, I... 
Yeah, I had a problem with Jerry Bales one. He barely mentions Martin O'Dell. He actually talks more about uh, Bill Finger. And yeah, we that all know one I have I did a problem because I because I knew I knew that would be a a bone of contention for sure. Uh, so the stories that are in here, and it's printed on the on the inside uh, of the dust jacket flap on the back. Uh, it has in order. We have. Um, all-American Comics number 16. That's the first appearance of Alan Scott. We have Green Lantern number 10 uh, from 1943. This is the first appearance of Handel Savage. We have Showcase 23. Now, this is the story where Hal um, kind of <laughs> uh, doesn't listen to the Prime Directive, <laughs> I guess, and uh, kills a bunch of uh, uh, yellow pterodactyls to save a bunch of blue aliens. Who can't defend themselves? Uh, we have Green Lantern number nine, uh, 59, 85, 87, 128, 188, 201, Green Lantern Mosaic one, Green Lantern 50, the Parallax stuff, Green Lantern 100, the Hal and Kyle team up. Uh, we have 154 from 2002. That one was actually, uh, no, I, actually, sorry, here we go. Green Lantern Secret Files 2005. That's the You Haven't Flown With Me issue. Um, where Kyle and Hal go flying, and we get some backstory of Kyle, uh, Hal and his dad and Hal and Carol. Uh, Green Lantern's 15, uh, Green Lantern number, the Green Lantern number one, and Green Lantern Legacy. Uh, have you ever not read some of these before? Yeah, there's actually a bunch of these I don't think I ever actually fully read before. Yeah, I uh, I actually never read the first appearance of Vandal Savage. That's yeah. that's how early on that got me. <laughs> Well, that would make that would kind of make sense since that was since they made the make the point of saying how it wasn't reproduced, so it was so you were, if you didn't have the actual book, you would never have probably been able to you wouldn't actually have seen that. Um, yeah, that one, that one, that one I hadn't seen before. Uh, I think I, I'm I'm pretty sure I had seen Alan's I had seen Alan's origin before we the thing with Sinestro and Hal. I had I had seen before, especially it's it's nice that it's nice that they that you have Green Lantern nine because of the fact that when you though I think it's questionable about having that the Green Lantern one hundred the Kyle Hal thing in as much as I love that story that it's just nice because it bookends what it bookends what you already saw that you saw the actual moment in time when that you know when that battle was taking place and then you have it then you have it referenced again when when Kyle gets sent back and sent back in time. So, um, I never read the Guy Gardner one. I never read the Guy Gardner first appearance. You're really not, yeah, fifty nine. So that one is almost almost a Silver Age Elseworlds story, right? Because essentially, essentially, Hal is learning about his own origin, and um, he figures out, you know, why he figured why he thought to call himself Green Lantern, and it was like a mental implant implantation by Abin subconsciously, but also that there was somebody else that could have also been Green Lantern. And then the Guardians literally go, we can show you what would have happened. This machine can compose different possibilities in the future based on alternate postulates of events. So it's literally almost an Elseworlds story. But it's funny because the way it ends is Guy you know, has a really stunning career as a Green Lantern, but he ends up dying only for Hal to get the ring anyways. <laughs> 
<laughs> I know. Guy, guy gets the space corona, and then he ends up having to give the ring to Hal. <laughs> Hopefully, he's not wearing a mask, so he might end up giving Hal the space space corona, too. <laughs> nice going, guy! Uh but yeah, I I had not read I had not read that story, but that was kind of, it was a clever way of introducing Guy, and then Hal of course decided to stalk Guy. And became, <laughs> We're gonna be friends, okay? So yeah, I had not read that story. I hadn't read Green Lantern 128 with the Hector Hammond thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think I'd actually ever read the Mogo doesn't socialize, though. Of course, we all know we all know the story. Um, Oh, and it was it was adapted into animated right. form. So yeah. I had I didn't I didn't have Green Lantern Corps two hundred one. Never read that. I did. I do like the fact that at least we get the explanation for why when we were talking in advance about what was going to be in this episode in this issue, they mentioned Green Lantern forty nine, which really didn't make any sense. I mean, if you were going to mm-hmm. have one, if you are going to have two parts of Emerald Twilight, why not three? But then you realize that oh, they were just they just had the great Daryl Banks cover for Green Lantern forty nine. Uh, but only only Green Lantern 50, which makes sense that Emerald Twilight is is in here. Uh, Mosaic number one is just such a conf- such a con- confusing damn story. Um, I definitely had not. Yeah, the idea of throwing anything Mosaic in there, even if it's a relative, almost one and done. So before we before we go that far, if you go to page, all right, go to page 213. Oh, I was close anyway. Do 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 two thirteen. Okay, and Emerald Twilight. Right. Turn the page. Yeah, I know. Say it's, it's it's more random covers, or another full right, page so, of the random covers. Right. So it's it's this is so basically, guys, what you see on behind Hal in the dust jacket and printed on the actual hardcover is printed here on page two fourteen. This is the only page like this. This design is used like a sort of background images or surprint or whatever for some of the text pieces. But this is the only full page just by itself of this random design. Why is that? It's because when you turn page 215 and 217, it's a page turn reveal of Parallax. If you would have actually, if you, if you would have made this an image of the comic, then what happens on 216 and 217 wouldn't be a sort of joined double-page spread, and Parallax's reveal wouldn't be a page-turn reveal. That That is... I would agree with that. I think that's probably the most logical reason why they decided to do it that way. Um, because, yes, originally Parallax, the reveal was on the right-hand side. Um, mm-hmm. Which is kind of odd when you think about it, uh, but I also I also think it's odd some of the choices. While Emerald Twilight, fit, you know, the last part of Emerald Twilight being in this book on some a collection of stories makes sense. That was a double sized issue, and having the mm-hmm. Kyle and Hal issue one hundred was also a double sized issue. So you could have basically got at least with one of those stories, you could you could have eliminated them and had two two other stories. I mean, you could have had. I'm thinking since they they're not above throwing you in the midst of a story arc here, since they did that with Emerald Twilight, they could have had instead of having Green Lantern 100 with Hal and Kyle teaming up, they could have done an, 
They could have given us. They certainly could have given us uh, the last part of Emerald Knights if they wanted to have Hal and Kyle teaming up because they would have fought Parallax, and that would have been. So they could have. They could have done something. They could have done something like that too. Uh, just like the, I think the choice of the Kyle. I still have an issue. The choice of the Kyle, the Terry story is kind of. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I mean, moving behind, you know, kind of other things we were talking about, you know, with you know social agendas and things like that. While it's a, you know, it's a moving story regardless of of anything. The reality is, it's not Kyle at his. Whether, how, no matter how you just, no matter how much you can justify what Kyle was doing, which you certainly can, it's not Kyle at his quote unquote best, <laughs> as in being, you know putting personal feelings aside, doing the right thing, blah, 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 blah. So it's not the best example of, of Kyle being Kyle. So I, while, so I, you, you have to suspect it was, honestly, it was the, the, so the, the, the story behind it relating to Terry and what happened to him. And, and that was the driving force. You have to suspect for that story being selected to go into this book. Not so much, we're trying to have you know representative stories of, of these characters and showing different aspects or moments or memorable moments. I mean, Kyle get you know Kyle has some good stuff in 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 this. Considering as we mentioned, he didn't didn't even get mentioned on you know on on the on the back on the back jacket of this. That mm-hmm. the reality is he the, you know there's a lot there's a decent amount of Kyle's Kyle stuff in here. I also I kind of I kind of think again, if you wanted to have a double size issue with Kyle, that you could have done Green Lantern 150. You could have done the end of the Ion storyline when the central power battery was restored because you're while you you didn't have the central bar, central power battery recreated in this book, you would have had the bookends of the power battery being destroyed and drained when Hal did it and Kyle restoring the battery. So even if without knowing Green Lantern history, if you were going in order, you would see oh this thing was destroyed and now this thing has been repaired and now it's been replenished. Uh, I that's certainly a more in, more indicative. Of Kyle as a character, I think, and speaking more positively about Kyle as a character, was Green Lantern 150. Plus, you get stuff with his father and and, and other things in it. So, I almost, I certainly, as much as I loved Green Lantern 100 and 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 the unique and and certainly the colors, you know, the colors, the way it's represented in this book, they just pop. I mean, it's, in a, which is weird because in a way, this it's it's really dark. The colors are darker. You know the way it's represented here. It's a lot darker, but still, it's you know Daryl and everything else. It's just these are just really, it's just really colorful, and I love the story, and it's and it's a good and it's cool, but I probably would have you know I probably in a way would have opted for Green Lantern one one fifty because Hal would technically still be in there too, though as the Spectre. Um, but then they also mentioned Emerald Twilight in that, so you would have a little bit of context. But yeah, the ter- um, but the Terry the Terry it, story is the one is the main is one and I don't really know if we needed the Vandal Savage thing. It's kind of it's kind of cute because you know because again mostly because it's never been you know reprinted. Uh, so but I don't know if we really needed it. No, there's a nice flow to this in some aspects, and as much as 154 is an important issue for Green Lantern, as well as you know just comics history and stuff like that. Uh, it sort of screws up some of the flow of this because you've got, uh, you know, Sinestro's uh, second appearance, I believe in here. And then you eventually get to uh, Green Lantern 50. So you have some contacts with Sinestro. You've got Guy Gardner's first appearance in here, which you see him again a little bit in the 201 story. Um, 
you have John's first appearance. You see him kind of scattered throughout here, especially with Mosaic, but also in 201. So you see, kind of see a sort of through line of how John Stewart progressed through the through the history of uh, Green Lantern, uh, and and lots of different things, lots of Sinestro appearances. But yeah, 154 sort of sort of throws off that rhythm. Um, of you know being introduced to somebody and then seeing how they progress through the history of Green Lantern and all of that. Um, you have the flight story with with Darwin Cook, which is a good is a great inclusion, especially a great art style to have in here. I don't like the inclusion of the Morrison number one. I get why it, why it's in there. I would agree. Um, I would agree with that too. I don't really. I really don't think that need really that especially not. Based on the, the importance of that story, it really shouldn't be in this book at all. You could have put the annual in there, maybe. Well, this that was like, at least a sort of one and done. But this is like we talked about. I mean, if the, if you're trying to be representative of, of, of almost of almost all the eras, which they they really you know they really weren't because we don't really have a Gerard Jones right. We really don't have a Gerard Jones <laughs> era story in here. That Robert that. I would rather have seen Robert Venditti have a story in here, regardless of, of what issue you were going to put in, just because he has written he had written Green Lantern for a much longer period of time, and at the end of the day, it's almost ta- you can almost take it to the bank. He will still end up having written Green Lantern much longer than Grant Morrison will. Uh, so, um, I think that there's probably something that could have been put in there from from that era, especially if you're going to do. There's probably some story you, you you could have thrown in, even if you cut down on only went with one of the double sized issues. Even you know if you weren't going to put in Green Lantern 150, then maybe keep Emerald Twilight, Green Lantern 50, and then lose Green Lantern 100, and maybe do one other solo story with Kyle, and and then if you're going to do that, or do a two parter, do maybe do a two parter with Kyle, lose issue 154, and then do. And then do that, that extra space you would have for another issue. Do something from the Venditti era just to kind of. It is. It just seems like it just seems kind of like an over, an oversight though. I guess you know, even though you can make the case why the Gerard, you know, if you want to get into politics and stuff, why Gerard Jones, they might not want to include something from his run or you know Green Lantern number one and you know or any, but, I think that, it's kind of hard to overlook the Venditti run just because of how long he was on the book. Yeah. Um, the inclusion of portions of Green Lantern Legacy is interesting, but see, flipping through this, what I was going to get to with um, speaking to uh, Morrison's uh, first issue being here, I don't like that it's in there, but I get why it is. Uh, same with the inclusion of Legacy and Mosaic. Especially if you read some of these uh, prose entries by like Guggenheim and, and O'Neill and stuff like that. What they're doing here is they're showing off the versatility of the property, how it can be this fun story with Jeff and, and, and Darwin Cook, how it can be this crazy, insane trip of a thing through uh, Morrison stuff, how it can be accessible to kids with legacy, how it can uh, be about something with like the Green Lanterns issue with Jessica and Simon, how it can be... You know, a joining of old and new with with Kyle and Hal, uh, how there's a sense of legacy, how there's a sense of teamwork with with uh, the core in, in 201, the the versatility of the property. So I, I get that. 
And as much as I wish Far Sector would have been in here, just the inclusion of that side of things, Far Sector is really its own thing that is... I can't think of what issue you would put in there. I get that some of these stories are not necessarily one and done, and there's a little bit of subtext and continuation that goes on, either between uh, sandwiched between the issues represented in here. But in their own way, each of these is sort of almost its own issue, uh, whether it's in there just as an origin or, or what, uh, or a final battle or, or, or whatever. But Far Sector... There's not like a single far sector issue you could have thought to put in here because it's very clearly something that's going to read well in trade. Um, so I get it uh, coming from that angle. Uh, and uh, I think it's I think it's a pretty great collection. I was actually going to read some snippets uh, from some of these uh, sections in here. Um, before before you answer. do that, let me let me let me clarify for the record that. Well, well, you don't have you don't have any you don't have anything written by Gerard Jones from the regular Green Lantern run. Technically, Mosaic is Gerard Jones. He did write mm. he did write that first. You know, he did write Green Lantern Mosaic number one is is a Gerard Jones story. So I, I need to, so I I should point that out. So yes, it does. So in a way that does to me that does kind of make the Venditti omission stand out even more because you do you you do have some reference to that Gerard Jones era of Green Lantern writing and then Venditti who wrote the book for how, how many years did he write the book? Gerard? No, Venditti. Or, no, Venditti. Five. Uh, right, five, yeah. right? About five. That, yeah, I would I would say that if you're trying to be you're trying to be inclusive um, but I know I know the case would be made that you're trying to be inclusive more by character than necessarily by era or even necessarily by author, I, I do, I I do get that, but I, I just you know it just kind of it does kind of stand out a little bit. So now go ahead. Sorry, just wanted to get that in before since it wouldn't. No, forget. You're good. Um, so obviously I'm not going to read the whole thing. Uh, get it if you want to read it. Uh, the only portion of this that I'm going to read the whole thing of will not be in this episode. I'll be reading the entire portion written by Denny O'Neill in another episode. Um, whether it's the Denny O'Neill tribute episode or it's uh, just an, an episode of Green Lantern, Green Arrow. Uh, I'll read a portion of the Denny O'Neill stuff during this episode, but not, not the full thing. Um, from the Guggenheim section, and I'm going to sort of hop around here. He starts off with a premise. Simply put, there is no other comic book franchise quite like Green Lantern. And skipping ahead a little bit, the entire franchise is about emotion. Beneath the superhero costume and the science fiction trappings, beneath the space cops con uh, conceit and the menagerie of alien ring bearers, there's actually a lantern who is a sentient planet. Look it up. Beneath everything that makes Green Lantern a comic book lies that which makes Green Lantern an idea. The Green Lantern Corps wields the most powerful weapon in all of creation. A ring capable of manifesting anything its bearer can think of. One ring would make someone the equivalent of a god. And the Green Lantern Corps has two uh, has 7,204 of them. Now, you don't need to be a writer to know that this uh, that this unparalleled omni... Uh, omni uh, 
Omnipotence. You don't need to be a writer to... Yeah, Omnipotence. Uh, presents more than a few, as we say in the biz, story problems. 7,204 gods, okay... Uh, 7,204 gods running, okay, flying, around the universe would make for some very short, to say nothing, of boring stories. So Broom and Kane came up with the ultimate limitation for the ultimate weapon. The power of the ring would be limited by the ring bearer's willpower. Thus, the greater the lantern's will, the more powerful he, she, they, it will be. But the corollary to this is that the weaker the lantern's wheel, the, the less power he, she, they, it will have. And nothing weakens willpower like fear. Uh, we all know what it's like to experience fear, and we all know what it means to overcome it. That is a, the, what's at the center of Green Lantern. Green Lantern is a superhero franchise about the human condition. Its genius lies in the fact that it happens to be about an army that, for its vast majority, isn't human. It's both reality and wish fulfillment wrapped in into a single, thought-provoking, genre-breaking package. Superhero space cops. You can't make this stuff up. But John Broom and Gil Kane did. No other comic book is like it. And there's a decent argument to be made that no other comic book will ever be like it. We're not likely to see its kind again. I, I obviously kind of skipped around, took some piecemeal of that, because this is a full double-page spread of his sort of prose stuff, so feel free to go through that. I thought that was interesting because, you know, obviously Guggenheim's involvement in era of Green Lantern is way before Jeff Johns' stuff. So uh, obviously he could have been inspired by this to to kind of make that point. But uh, it's it's still true, uh, even if you say, you know, he even if you say he was inspired by Jeff's run, um, it's it doesn't necessarily invalidate anything he said. Green Lantern is and always has been about emotion. That is true. I, that I, mean, I, did, cool. I did like... The, the Guggenheim, the Guggenheim part I liked. I did like Jeff's. Um, when, when mm-hmm. I do like, I do like when Jeff talks about Green Lantern. I think because you know that he is passionate about it. So I, I it, it is nice getting insights. Um, I think it's good getting insight across the board. But I do, but I, but I always like reading what you know what Jeff has to say about it. In a way, it would have been interesting to have to have a Morrison one mm. because. Uh, because it would be nice to know he'd get some. I mean, we got we got a little bit of insight, I guess, when he was first starting to take over the book. You know how he viewed the concept and things. But it, but based on the context of what we've gotten so far, in a way, it would be interesting if we could have uh, if we could if you're gonna you know you're gonna include a story. And, and if yeah, if you're gonna include a story, I wouldn't have hurt to at least you know have like you know one page or something from from those people. That are giving you stories, sure. but you know, I mean, not everyone, the, uh, not everyone needed to right. be like double, like, like, like double pages. Like, I mean, obviously, we know relevance-wise, we can understand why, like, Denny gets like three pages, pretty much. Yeah. But, but I just like generally speaking, you, you, you could have probably had some people get two, some people get you know one things, things like that. I think that at least, and even to, even to balance it out, I mean, I mean, you think think about it from the sake of of fairness if you're not going to include a Venditti story then why couldn't they give it couldn't you know couldn't they give him at least like a page <laughs> to write stuff yeah. about the character so I mean I, but, but yeah. um 
the the social justice section, as Mark mentioned, for by Jenny O'Neill is three pages. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I will at some point in the future on some other show, but uh, or other episode. But it's a great history of the time in which the Green Lantern Green Arrow series was written. It's a great origin story for that for Denny himself um, and for for the series as a whole. I'm going to read a, a short section just to kind of give you guys uh, a section. Um, I was satisfied that I had done a worthy script, and I was reasonably certain Gil Kane's drawings would com- complement my prose. I expected him to do an especially nice job with the rooftop scene in which the ancient black man introduces Green Lantern to ghetto bitterness. The three panels concluding that scene are among the most reproduced panels in comic book history. But Gil didn't draw them. Instead, No Evil Shall Escape My Sight went to a relative newcomer, Neil Adams. Again, I don't know why, but Neil did get the assignment instead of Gill, the regular Green Lantern artist, and that was an extension of what was, to me, a gloriously satisfying collaboration begun about a year earlier with some Batman stories. Neil was wonderful. He consistently equaled or exceeded the pictures that my mind formed while I was writing the stories. Every time he did it. Every one of the 150 images in that story would be better than I had imagined it. To see my description so totally realized was a spooky and stunning experience, and I think it inspired me to innovate and to improve. I felt confident that Neil would be there for me. Neil would deliver, and Neil did. On Green Lantern, Green Arrow, as well as the Rachel Ghoul and Talia saga, we did for the Batman and Detective Comics titles. He is an immensely gifted individual with his own approach to comic art, Basically a realist whose imagination can stretch the parameters of things as they are to include the extravagant and the fantastic. If superheroes existed, he once told me, they'd have to look the way I draw them. We are vastly different people, Neil and me. A few years ago, we were uh, together in Chicago on a public relations junket, and after a full day in Neil's company, I began to realize we agreed on nothing. Zero zip from which movies to watch on the hotel's closed-circuit television to the merits of the paintings hanging in the Art Institute to which of the pretty women strolling on Michigan Avenue we would most enjoy discussing uh, Schopenhauer with. While we were uh, actually collaborating, though, we hummed in unison like tuning forks. Our psyches were twins. Only the best marriages approximate the closeness of such an artistic pairing. As marriages have an alarming tendency to culminate in divorce, close collaborations generate jealousy, rivalry, and pettiness. Neil and I never became actively hostile, but the relationship did get strained and edgy towards the end. It might have gotten worse had we continued working exclusively with each other. We didn't. So, the only reason I read that snippet is because I always got that feeling, but neither of them really (laughs) ever expressed said it but when i've i've talked with neil and i've talked with denny and those two are very different people too much to the point where i was like look i know i've only talked with denny like three times but i don't know how this guy put up with neil (laughs) are you you sure you guys got this uh this collaboration down so to hear denny write about it i thought was cool and another you know i everything that that denny writes in his little social justice uh piece here that's three pages long uh, is already stuff I knew. There's nothing new in there to me, but uh, I, I figured it, I'd read it not just because of it, it kind of uh, explaining the partnership between Denny O'Neill and how the fact that they are polar opposite people and were even back then. 
But also it gives a little uh, a little known fact. Denny wrote the story for the first issue thinking that Gil Kane would draw it. Neil Adams didn't come in until later. So it's a it's a fact of uh, Green Lantern history maybe some people didn't know. That is true. Some people might not know that and it's and it's as we know the world's made up of moments like that where you know somebody's somebody somebody's supposed to do something they can't somebody else steps in and the rest is history. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like it's you know it's like uh yeah it's like that uh stepping in for it's like that, what what in baseball like that Wally Pip moment you just you know you just step in and people re, people replace people and it's like it's like wow it's like and then you sometimes you just never look back you know so it's like but yeah it it, it is kind of, it is kind of interesting that for just generally speaking even for people who for pe- especially for people who didn't know that the idea that yeah he was kind of expecting just just like in a much different way just like just like when Ron got when Ron Mars got the Green Lantern book, he didn't know he was off and Hal in the Green Lantern Corps when he first got that book. It's like, hey, I get to I get to write Hal Jordan. No, you don't. <laughs> well, kind of, but not the way you expect. <laughs> For three issues. Um, so yeah, it's. it's just, I did. Good. I I did have one other note I wanted to ask. Um, is this book the first time you'd ever read Green Lantern Legacy in any, yes. In any capacity? Yes. 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 Okay, what did you think of what you read? That might be like a nice little preview of a future episode. I liked it. I thought it was. I thought it was pretty good. I liked. I like. I like seeing Ayolande moved up to Queen. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was a nice. That's one of those things that grabs you right away. It's like she was Princess Ayolande. <laughs> I guess she got promoted. Uh, John, have, you know, having John be in be in there was nice. I do like the. I do like the the legacy, the idea that you know, the, the, with the grandmother character, I thought that was pretty cool, and, and tying it into Sinestro and and everything else. I thought I thought it was I thought it was fine. I thought it, it was it was intriguing. It was intriguing enough, but like kind of like you mentioned, it does it does kind of stink on one level that again that Joe's not in this, but then especially because she wasn't in the uh, hundred page. 80th anniversary book comic, you know. The, yeah. So not being in either is a right. It, it does kind of it does kind of stink on that level. Um, well, she did get that splash page. Yeah, right? I know. She, I mean, in, in she's, the she is physically at in least, the book, but yeah. and, and looking good too. But so, but the reality is, yeah, I think. But you're right. At this point, she really only exists in one story and one storyline. So. It would be out of context unless you wanted to just, and plus it's relatively recent, so it'd be kind of hard to throw in. Oh, we'll throw in Far Sector number one. It's like, well, we're only up to what six? We're only up to like issue six or seven. So especially now that it's bi-monthly, that I guess timing is everything, and timing unfortunately worked against that. But it does kind of, you know, it does kind of suck a little bit. So. Um. One thing I wanted to mention also was the price of this thing. So uh, I recently purchased, obviously for a discount and everything online, I didn't buy it outright, but the um, Green Lantern Bronze Age Volume 1 Omnib- or not Green Lantern, uh, Justice League of America Green Lan- uh, ah, Justice League of America Bronze Age Omnibus Volume 1. 
and DC prices their omnibus uh, about like 125, 150. So a book like this, especially with the title, you know, not being just a hardcover, but saying having the words deluxe edition on it and everything, I had expected this to be at least 40, 50 bucks, but it's only 30 US, and that's a pretty darn good price for this thing. Yes, and plus, obviously, the odds are you can get it cheaper. Um, I'm sure. Oh yeah, we got it cheaper when we got it on Amazon. I don't know what it's. Yep. What it's currently, re- what their current price is. I'll 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 double check that real quick. But yes, I mean, so the, even even yes, even as a even as a straight, um, I mean, I didn't get much of a discount. I think I got looks like I paid like twenty six ninety nine for mine. Uh, but even as a even as a straight up without a discount, it's not the you know it's not it does you know this a uh, how many pages are in this thing over four hundred, so mm-hmm. over four hundred pages. So you, you're certainly getting a lot of bang for your buck with this with this book on that level too. So and again they do and they and just generally speaking they include a lot of you know they do include a lot of important stories and it it is somewhat you know it is somewhat interesting I guess you would have to say unless they figure. And maybe this speaks volumes about they figure more people know the Hal Jordan origin than the Alan Scott origin. But when you think about it, they have you kind of you get you get John's origin. You have the first intro of Guy that was not you know like you said it's it's, it's more like an Elseworlds alternate what could have been version of Guy. Uh, but you do get his but you do get his first appearance. But you you don't and you. T- and you get Kyle getting the ring, so you can make the case that's the first moment he becomes Green Lantern, though it's it's not his first adventure as Green Lantern. But you don't, but they don't give you Hal's origin, though. I guess they maybe they might have felt because of the Guy Gardner story, you're kind of getting two for one, which yeah, I think is fair, sure. which I think works. I think I think that was a, that but, that was probably a good compromise to, to do to do that. It almost happened in almost every Silver Age story at the towards the beginning. It, every almost every issue of Green Lantern had a recap of Hal's origin in some way, shape, or form. Right, and you do definitely, you definitely, you definitely get it in the in the guy story. I mean, you get Hal's origin before you get before you get the alternate reality guy version. So, I get. Yeah. I mean, so that makes so that that is the easy explanation for why they wouldn't do that. But so. well, I have one final question about it. Uh, for the price point, great. I think we've agreed that great, great price point, great layout in terms of uh, spread. Uh, not, not the worst choice in in issues. We've no. we've talked about how we wish they would have done some things different, but by and large, it's relatively cohesive. So, with the design, the layout, the with the quality, the price, two questions. <laughs> okay. If you if you've if you've if someone has never read Green Lantern, would you give them this? Or if someone would like to get to know Green Lantern better, would you give them this? Or recommend they buy it rather? If they've never that those are that's those are both I mean they're variations on the same theme, but they but they're but they are good. They, they I'm trying to th- because again, the the key to answering that would be conceptually. Do you think, do you think the stories in this book do a good are very representative of what the Greenland like you how you described it and what and what like how Guggenheim talked about it? Does it really do a good job at manif- basically like manifesting the concept and or the characters? Do you feel like you learn a, a lot about the characters themselves or 
learning about what you know what the Green Lanterns are and that's really tough. I don't know if this would be my first choice of something to introduce people to Green Lantern as a concept, but it's kind of hard. But if you're going to do that, unless you're trying to steer them towards a certain era or one character over another, you're going to have to pick like a collection. So then it comes down to. If, so I. It is tough because I'm telling you that mosaic story. That mosaic story is tough. Sorry, Dan. That mosaics. I mean, I never really read much of Mosaic, and just by kind of like, kind of going through this issue, it's like I'm kind of glad that I didn't. <laughs> uh, it's and I, I don't mean like the way John, John is drawn. I don't mean like the art. I think the artwork for John is just does not does not look anything like John. On the cover, he does, but um, I don't. I I'll answer the second question. I'd say if if you're trying to you know flesh out. You know, if you're trying to flesh out somebody's knowledge of Green Lantern, if you're trying to have them learn a little bit more about the character from where they, then I would, then I would say this is probably better, on, from my opinion, better on that level than as a straight up, straight up intro. Um, but it's it's close because there are some, you got some really important stories in here. You do have some intros to characters that if you're going to continue. Along your along the road to learn more about Green Lantern and become, you know, a lanternologist that you kind of need to know Guy Gardner and John Stewart, and so you kind of get their intro. Their intro, you get a good, you get a good representation of Kyle, at least in the Hal Kyle story, and you also get a good understanding of the kind of the relationship Hal and Kyle always had, uh, even when they were on opposite sides. You know, when they in, in current continuity at the time, not this time-skipping stuff, but there was a grudging respect between the two, even though the circumstances put them at odds. Uh, and I think even the, I mean, even this, you're right. The, the 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 Darwin Cook piece, you do get a nice inkling into what makes Hal tick, and a nice moment between Hal and Kyle, uh, and the Jessica story, which of course to us is relatively fresh because it wasn't that long ago we were. We were doing that book. Yeah, we we didn't talk about that. But You're right. It's 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 a good. I thought it was a good inclusion because not only does it give you Jessica's whole thing, it's 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 a nice sort of half asshole Simon, half nice Simon sort of a thing. But it also like Simon has a thing like, hey, I thought you were over this, and she goes, this isn't something you get over. So it's not just showing that she's anxious. It's gonna sh- it's showing that she's always gonna be this person. And it's a nice sort of like Justice League sort of team up issue as well, and it sort of segues a little bit towards the end into the Batman uh, two issue arc that they crossed over with. Uh, it wasn't really a crossover; it was just a, a Batman story arc. But so, like, if you were into that, you could be like, "Oh man, now I want to know what happens with Batman." So that I, I thought that was a, a really good choice of an issue. If you're going to include an issue from the Green Lantern or from Green Lanterns. That was a pretty damn good choice. I agree. I think that was that was a good je- that was that was a good Jessica Cruz just Jessica Cruz story, but it also was a good story focusing on certainly having moments where you know Simon being you know being cool, but but specifically it does demonstrate a lot of the relationship between 
Simon and Jessica. So I do. Mm-hmm. So I do think that. So I do think that was a good. That was a good inclusion. Um, and it, you know, it's it obviously it's smart if you want to do a story. If you want to do a story. Um, in, in a collection, it makes sense to pick something from that run because that way you're getting again you're killing two birds with one stone. Also, you're getting both of these characters as opposed to having to pick a separate, you know, Simon Bass story and then pick a Simon. It's a different Simon story, different Jessica story. This way, you uh, you got one of each, just in one. You know, basically, you got the best of, you got the best of both worlds. So, I do think that was a, I think that was a nice touch too. Yeah, to answer my own questions, I definitely would give this or recommend somebody buy this uh, to flesh out their knowledge. I think depending on what they like. Um, you know, you know, it's sort of, sort of the the litmus test. You know, hey, do you think I should read this? Well, you know, what kind of comics do you like already? What, what are you already interested in? Maybe I can recommend a specific lantern to pay attention to, or based if if you give me enough information, a specific lantern and a specific story arc for a specific lantern. Um, but if you've never read Green Lantern and you don't know what version of Green Lantern you like, not just the character but the representation, do you like? you know, really serious and straightforward? Do you like super trippy spacey? Do you like just silly space? Do you like more grounded? Like, what do you like? This is like a nice breadth of not just different lanterns, obviously, but different types of Green Lantern stories that can be told. So if someone comes up to you and goes, I'd like to read more Green Lantern. I've never read comics before. I don't know even know what I'd like. But hey, I've got 30 bucks. Then this is a nice little sampler to get them. Or hell, I'm sure there's going to be an, a deal of this digitally on Comixology or something. So maybe they could get it even cheaper. Or they could go the illegal route or whatever. Uh, but, you know, if just sort, not just purchasing it, but just reading it outright, whether they're borrowing it or buying it, then they have no idea what they want. This is a good kind of sampling of the different lanterns and the different ways to tell a green lantern story. I think they could come back and go, you man, I really like that. You know, that, you know, green lantern core two Oh one story. Well, man, there's a whole series of just crazy bonkers. Green lantern core space stuff with talking squirrels and a passive aggressive alien slug looking thing. Because, my God, Salak is sassy <laughs> and annoying as hell in issue 201. <laughs> yes, yes, he is. Um, and plus, and, I mean, you get a whole – in a way, you get a nice little – you don't get – like I said, you don't get everybody's origin story uh, per se, but you do get a lot – you do get a bunch of different ways people can get introduced to being a Green Lantern. You know, whether it's John, whether it's Kyle, whether it's Guy, uh, Alan. So I think uh, so. There's a there's a healthy mix of just just regular you know adventures showing you, and obviously the stuff with you know Green Arrow and Green Lantern dealing with you know with deeper deeper issues here with uh, with number eighty five. But I but I think also you so you get a you get a nice health you get a nice healthy mix of of important stories along with origin stories along with just moments or issues that are thrown in there just to show you what, you know, basically, oh, this is what Green Lanterns do, like the Hector Hammond story. 
things like that. So, or or even the uh, Mogo doesn't socialize. <laughs> Sorry, for, for sure. Um, anything else about this? No, I think I was I was I was I was going to say pleasantly surprised. I don't mean to think to, to imply that I thought it was going to stink. But I, I think it, it exceeded the expectations that I had when I when I pre-ordered this thing. So I think it was, I think it's it's very representative of uh, the concept and all the different characters. And so I th- I think it was, I think it's worth adding to the to your Green Lantern library. For sure. One little small note on the spine: the little Green Lantern logo at the top from like the Silver Age, when like so like. Whenever a character would appear, uh, let's say in one of the Justice League crossovers, with Justice League would cross over, and they were there were always called crises. By the way, some some DC knowledge for you. Uh, you know when the Justice League would have um, crossovers with other worlds, like uh, you know Earth Earth Three or, or whatever. It was always the storyline was always called Crisis something. That's why you got that big arc in the 80s called Crisis because it was a big crossover kind of multiverse story. But when they would show you on they'd show this cool title image and like on the left would be little small profile uh, images of the Justice League and the other side would be profile images of the crime syndicate like as an example. And <laughs> and this little logo here of Green Lantern I man I don't know why but I think that's just such a cool inclusion. Like I wish all the Green Lantern trades had this little thing on there and like all the Superman trades would have that on there and all the Batman trades and the Wonder Woman's. And I just think that would be like, even if the trade dress is a hundred percent different and that hell, if you look at, at your trades on a shelf and your hardcovers, even the DC logo changes a bunch of times. If you, if we just had like a character logo that remained consistent, no matter what changed on the spine, that would be awesome. I, I like, I really like that little touch right there of having the Green Lantern, and it says Green Lantern right there on the top of the spine. No, I do too. I think it's, it kind of, it kind of reminds you back in the day when you were, like, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't as prevalent. I mean, they had it on, on DC, they did have it on DC books too, but for me, I see, think of it more at Marvel, when they used to have, the, you know, the logo on the upper left-hand side of the book. Of the character right. and different different poses and and you so you so on some levels you know almost you you almost if you especially if you were reading a book for a long period of time you can you can pretty much know what era of the book uh, you're talking about and who either who was writing it or drawing it consistently just by you know what were like which which Hulk you know which Hulk logo was in the upper left or which Spider Man logo is there and, and things like that or you know, or just things you're like Rom, I remember, you know, just logos that stand out. It was funny because there was this, there was this. I probably should have. I don't think I ever showed it to you. There was this website that had like they would they did t- they were doing like t-shirts, and and the t-shirts all had like mock-ups of basically uh, of those logos. Like I, I think they whatever, whatever, and they, and they and they were not com- completely random issue numbers too. They were like relevant issue numbers for for each respective book, but you know, and they had like I think the price point. The, the way it actually was, you know, the way it was actually drawn at the time, and how much it was, and it had the actual logo of the, that was being used. So, like Rom, they had the, the from Rom in the 80s, or 
like if they had Werewolf by Night, it'd be like you know the Werewolf by Night logo from the from the 70s and things like that. So I I, I I've kind of always been a sucker for that. I kind of I kind of miss that. Just just like how the Avengers used to have that like the like the box in the upper left, and basically you'd know who was in the team just by looking who was in the box. Because it would always change depending on what, whatever the actual roster of the Avengers was. They, I mean, they didn't do that all the time. Sometimes they had different, you know, sometimes they had different characters represented. Like I think they had division. The they had division the in the corner at some point, but there was a certain time frame when they did that. It was whatever the team was that that those would be this, like the seven little faces or whatever you'd see in the box on the left hand side next to the issue number and the price point. So I think that they, that kind of you know that kind of reminds me of that you know that time frame. So I, I think I so I thought that that wasn't that was a nice catch. It is it is nice for consistency. It is nice for of things of that nature to, and it does kind of harken back to a different time. For sure. All right. Well, before we close out, listeners. I am not telling you what the next episode is going to be. This thing I am about to mention is not a prequel of what the exact next episode will be. But that being said, Mark, do you know what comes out tomorrow? I'm going to say we haven't. We haven't talked about doing an episode of this for some ridiculous reason, but it comes out tomorrow. I already pre-ordered it on Amazon. It should be here by Thursday. No, you better refresh my memory. Green Lantern, Earth One, Volume oh, Two. Oh, yeah. that comes out. Uh, volume that comes out already. That comes out tomorrow. For some reason, I thought that was coming out later because I remember. I remember. I do remember. Yeah, because that that was one. Of, that's one of those things that have been very, very, very subtle. Mm-hmm. Is, is probably so, subtle's probably being kind. It's been marketed shitty. It's probably the better way to accurately describe <laughs> it. Uh, because I do remember seeing it. Uh, yeah, I'll have to. Yeah, August eleventh. That's what it says. I'm on prime. On prime. So actually, that's it, it. it could it could be the next episode, guys. But Mark and I haven't talked about. It. I I forgot it even existed until it popped up when I was doing a search on of Green Lantern on Amazon. I was like, oh, shit, yeah. And I was like, oh, man, it comes out, like, in a couple of days. So I placed the pre-order. Yeah. I'm completely like, forgot it was coming out. Yep, just pre-ordered it now. Um, estimated delivery, August 13th or 14th. Yeah, mine says it'll be here on Thursday. So, so. If, yeah, if, if it, as long as I get it by the weekend, yeah, if, then, again, we're not telling you this is what we're doing because our track record right. of doing this is has not is I I try to purposely avoid this from now on because there's always complications that can come up even if it's un, unforeseen. So, yeah. but from my perspective, there's no reason why we can't aim to do that. Assuming we both get the book, you know, by the by the weekend, then there's no reason to think that we can't do it. But yeah, For sure. Cool. Yeah, I didn't I didn't re- I didn't want to drop it on you and like promise it being the next episode because but I was just like. This is a big thing to come out for us to not even have it on our list of topics to discuss in future episodes. <laughs> well, because, I mean, because, again, like we kind of alluded to a few few minutes ago or a few seconds ago, it's it was really subtly dropped out there in, like, solicits, but it wasn't really pushed or anything. Right. So just, like, just like when you mentioned it to me, and it's like when you started saying it and, and I kind of cut you off because it's like, oh – 
because I knew it was coming. I did know it was coming out, but maybe it's just because of how, as you can attest to, how friggin' weird this year has been and how time has just all has just blown by even faster than usual that it's hard to remember that when I when I did notice this probably you know when you were when you were on the disabled list that I probably noticed it when they first mentioned it but that's hard to believe but that you know but here we are we're almost in September now so yes at the time it seemed oh this is coming out several months from now yeah so it, it is several months from now since since you saw it solicited so yeah it is kind of hard to it's hard to believe that uh but I did, yeah, I did remember. I did remember noticing it, and I did remember that uh, we would. Uh, I assumed we would be delving into it since we did. We did do the first one, and it was a fun read. So there's no doubt that. Definitely looking forward to doing the. Uh, to the next chapter. I guess that means I'll have to reread the first one, or go listen to our uh, episode covering it and talking with uh, the creators. Yes, we could. I mean, we could go back and re- we could go back and re- reread it. But let's, but let's, let's see where how the story begins. Maybe we don't necessarily need to. Um, but obviously, like I said, at least we have, at least we have, a, well, at least we have our own episode. We can go back and uh, steal from ourselves, like like Bill and Ted. There. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I really like the uh, the the interview that we did with them back in the day. Yeah, you remember that, what? That was fun. You remember? You remember what? Uh, Episode that was. Let's see lanterncast.com search bar. Plug lanterncast.com. There's a search bar if you're ever looking for old episodes. Because um, not every podcatcher app or streaming device will have the entire feed of all 12 years worth of lanterncast episodes. 316. There you go. That was our that was our, that was our Steve Austin episode. <laughs> <laughs> lanterncast 316. Yeah, that was that was a lot of fun, and I had fun. I actually remember playing around and doing that album art too. I was really proud of that album art. It made it look like the the Earth One uh, trade dress, so that was cool. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, so if people want to reach us, how can they do so? Not that they seem to want to. These, but only kidding. Uh, lanterncast.com. The email is lanterncast at gmail.com. The voicemail is seven zero eight lantern. So. We, yeah, we haven't had a voice well. I'm getting like you. This, this, this is our speech. This is our <laughs> Daffy Duck speech impediment episode. Uh, we haven't had a voicemail in a while, so uh, maybe we have to hit Corwin up. Maybe we can hit him up on one of those handy dandy group chats you're so fond of, Chad. Um, you can follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, use hashtag GLCast to track us down on those. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. So whichever platform or platforms you listen to us on, please leave us a positive review. And yeah, so we don't, we can, we're guessing we're going to do Earth 1 Volume 2, but it's, it's always up in the air, people. But that's what I guess. If you had to bet money right now on what episode, what four or five would be, that would be that would be the way to bet. That's that's all I'm gonna that's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. Yeah, reach out to us if you have any thoughts on the 80 years of the Emerald Knight, the deluxe edition uh, hardcover that we talked about tonight. Or hey, you you you've got an idea of what's coming next, and even if it's not next, it'll be an episode very soon. Uh, clearly, so. Uh, if you happen to 
read Earth One, uh, Volume Two of Green Lantern before uh, we get to round two reviewing it, and you have some thoughts about how the story went. It would be fantastic to have your feedback ready to read along with our thoughts on the on the book as we're recording the episode. So if you guys pre-ordered it or pick it up at your LCS or whatever the case may be in your your COVID world uh, out there, <laughs> whatever your process is, if it's dropped off at your door or whatever, um, definitely let us know your thoughts either way, and we'll talk to you guys later. Good night, everybody. Good night.